Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, a verse that we've read often on throughout this whole series, it says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Today, we're actually going to be concluding our series on heaven and death and what comes next and the new earth and the new heaven and uh, the suffering and groaning that we have here in anticipation of that. And, and really, one of the things we've kind of talked a lot about is how what we do here in this earth really matters for eternity. So we've covered a lot of information. Believe it or not, this is week 16. Uh, we've looked at many, many passages. And believe it or not, there's still a lot of other things we could probably say, a lot of other passages. And for that reason, I keep kind of extending it another week, another week. But um, hopefully, we have cleared up a lot of misunderstanding about what comes next. Yes, there's a lot of things we don't know. But yes, there is a lot of things we do know. So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give a summary because we've talked about so much and sort of pull it all together. So a lot of what, if you've participated in all these, you can say, oh yeah, you've already kind of said that. You've already said that. That's true because I'm just trying to tie it all together. If you're just joining us, you may kind of feel like, oh, wait a minute, where's that in the scriptures? Where's that in the scriptures? And, uh, you know, my advice to you is to go back and listen to the previous messages in which I go into a lot more detail. And I'll be using a lot more scripture. <clears throat> so let's begin by giving a brief overview of what has transpired so far as it pertains to heaven and what's coming in, what's coming around in the future. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a chart here. <clears throat> and it's very hard, of course, to uh, get everything on a chart, but hopefully this helps somewhat. So we go back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden Eden was, Eden was also called paradise. That was kind of the Greek word for it. And uh, we use it now, of course, in a lot of things. Oh, that's paradise. You know, Hawaii, I went to paradise. That vacation is paradise. You know, uh, but really paradise originally referred to the Garden of Eden. And here we see that God creates man in his own image. <clears throat> Actually, that is said eight times. And it also says a couple more times that God created man according to his own image. And it was beautiful. There's the tree of life there. There's fellowship. There's communion with God constantly. Uh, man had responsibilities. And it was, it was paradise, you know. Um, you know uh, but as we know, with the fall of man, sin enters into the world. And actually, a curse falls on mankind. And it falls on the earth, you know, because earth has been affected as well. And, of course, the original people, Adam and Eve, were removed from the garden. And that enters into the period that we're in right now, kind of the fallen world. <clears throat> now, in Old Testament times, you can kind of see right here, um, you know, all of a sudden people died, right? And 
but God begins to try to gather a people in preparation of sending his Messiah, his son. And, and so when people died in the Old Testament era, everyone went to Sheol. That's the Hebrew word. The Greek word is Hades. That's where everyone went. You know, uh, David talks about it in some of his Psalms, you know. However, we know from the story that Jesus gives us in Luke of uh, Lazarus and the, uh, <clears throat> you know, Lazarus and the rich man that really Hades or Sheol was really divided into two parts. There's one for those who were looking for righteousness, wanted to live a righteous life. Of course, they failed in many ways, but such as Lazarus, you know. And uh, and then, of course, uh, those people went to a place that was called Abraham's bosom. It was a place of comfort. It was called, it's, it's kind of like a, a waiting period, you know. Uh, the others, uh, the wicked people, went to the part of Sheol that we know was a place of torment. That's what it kind of says in the scriptures here. So uh, now you might say, so so the righteous people didn't go to heaven? Well, no, they didn't. They went to Hades because technically, well, not just technically, I mean, they had not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. They were not righteous to be able to actually be in the presence of God. So uh, now when Jesus comes to earth and dies for our sin and is resurrected, he also brings what? The promise of eternal life. In fact, he dies in order to give us eternal life and to cleanse us from sins and therefore allowing us to be righteous, at least in the eyes of Jesus. That's part of his gift, the gift of righteousness. And so then we can actually be with God. We can be with Jesus, you know, continually because the sin has been wiped away. So uh, in that time, you know, between the resurrection and when Jesus comes back, and by the way, we're in that time period right now, and we can kind of, we're just calling it the uh, age of the church. <clears throat> and it goes here, and then it kind of comes back, you can kind of see to here. Um, you know, what happens when we die? Well, we, um, the wicked people, those who do not know the Lord, they still go to Hades, okay? Those who receive his gift of eternal life, then they go to present heaven because they can be there. Their souls go to be with the Lord. Now, their bodies, as we all know, because we've all had people that we know that die, we, you know, there's either a cremation or there's a burial or something. Our bodies turn back to dust for a while. Okay, so so all of a sudden, because we're cleansed of our sins, we can be with Jesus. And we're calling that, you know, where we go to be with him, our souls, present heaven. Now, we say present heaven because heaven's going to kind of change here. You know, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. So present heaven is where we go when we die. If our names have been written in the book of life if we receive that gift of eternal life, you know? And uh, so, and in present heaven, there's not a lot of details. There's more details about the 
upcoming heaven, but we do know that there's going to be communication between one another. There's, of course, there's obviously communication with Jesus, you know. Uh, uh, you know, remember Jesus told the thief on the um, cross, he said, behold, today you'll be with me in paradise, didn't he? And of course, you know, uh, you know, that was, you know, almost like the Garden of Eden. You know, it's going to be a place where it's going to be present in heaven. It was going to change. And he was one of the first ones to be able to do that. Now, what about all those people who are in that other part of Hades? You know, where maybe those who are looking for righteousness, it says very clearly on several occasions that Jesus, between the time he was crucified and the time he rose from the dead, it says he went to Hades and what? He released those. He he preached the gospel. He released. We don't know a lot of details, but we know now that people like Abraham and David and Daniel and many of the saints of the Old Testament, they're in present heaven. And if we die today and we know the Lord, that's where we're going to go. So this communication, we also looked at how really there's, it's not like we are up there totally unaware of what's happening because we know that in Hebrews 11, it talks about that now we have a great crowd of witnesses, you know, surrounding us that are basically kind of watching what we do here on earth. So that's present heaven. We, um, other things we know is that we're free from sin. We begin spending eternity with the Lord. <clears throat> okay. We also talked about it's not going to be a boring place because there's fellowship. Okay. Now then, I'm sort of going a little bit fast because this is kind of a summary. Then Jesus returns. And that's something we're all looking for. And then that ends the age of the church, right? And, um, and, and when Jesus returns, one of the things that happens, it, by the way, that's called the first resurrection because it's the resurrection of all those who know him. Now there's a second resurrection of those who don't know him. We'll talk about that in just a couple more minutes. So the first resurrection, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be, uh, we're going to rise up from the graves our bodies are going to come together. It's going to be reunited with our souls. If we happen to be here when Jesus comes back, our bodies just go and we are, we said we're going to meet him in the air. And our bodies are going to be transformed. We're going to go from having a mortal body to an immortal body. And there's going to be no more death, no more sickness. We're going to have perfect bodies. You know, uh, they're not going to be mystical, ghost-like bodies. They're going to be bodies that eat, that do things, you know. Uh, uh, there will be some differences, of course, but only better differences. And, of course, when we talked about that, we talked about questions. Well, what age will, will we be? And things like that. Well, really, there is no age in heaven. So that's uh, we're all going to be the same. We're all going to be at the peak of our life. Somehow, because we're going to have resurrected bodies, okay? And that's that's a game changer. So we'll be back complete, soul, spirit, and body. Now, right after he comes back, we also are told that there's going to be this marriage supper of the Lamb. By the way, in these 16 messages, 15 before this one, uh, 
um, we took like a whole message to talk about a lot of these, like the resurrection of our bodies, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I'm just sort of tying it here all together where you get the flow here. So when Jesus comes back, we get our resurrected bodies. There's going to be this marriage supper of the Lamb. And it appears it's going to be a literal supper. Uh, we don't know all the details, but we can say it's going to be a gathering for the very first time of all the saints who've lived through all the generations. And of course, saint means those who've been made holy, you know, which includes all of us who know the Lord. Uh, so it's going to include Abraham, it's going to include Moses, it's going to include David and Daniel and Ruth and all those people. It's going to include Paul and, and Timothy and the disciples and all the people through church history. It's going to include people from every culture and every nation who has genuinely been born again or regenerated or receive that gift of eternal life. So it's gonna be the biggest celebration. It's gonna be the biggest gathering party. Nothing on this earth can compare to it. And you might say, well, that's gonna be like millions of millions. Yeah, that's right, it is gonna be. Probably hundreds of millions of people, you know? And uh, how it's gonna work logistically, we don't have that. We don't have a clue as to how that's gonna work, but we know it's gonna happen. Okay, then, and we can read a lot about this in like Revelation chapter 20 and other places. We begin the millennium. And the millennium is a 1,000 year period here on earth. Because when Jesus comes back, he is actually going to set up his kingdom in all its fullness. Now, when we become born again, we know that we enter into the kingdom of God. And there's a spiritual thing that happens. But if you read back in the Old Testament, when the king was talked about, yeah, there's a spiritual component, but there's also a physical component where Jesus is going to reign in righteousness and justice, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem, and that is fulfilled. So it's going to be the fullness of the kingdom of God. And we're going to be there with him. So we've got another thousand years to live here on this earth. Okay, I mean, actually a little bit more, but for now, let's just talk about a thousand years. Is that thousand years literal? We don't know, but the fact that it mentions millennium and thousand years like four or five times just in Revelation chapter 20, we can probably assume it's literal. But again, we don't know, you know. Now we're gonna be reigning with him. And, uh, you know, what are our jobs? What are our responsibilities? We really don't know all the details, but we do know that during the millennium, it appears that there's still gonna be mortals living because when Jesus comes back and there's all the tribulation, the judgments, it looks like there's gonna be about a third of the people who kind of remain through all that. They're still gonna be living and then they're gonna have children and they're gonna have children. And over a thousand years, that's a lot of children, right? And, uh, and we'll be ruling over there. Uh, over them, I guess. And uh, now at the end of the thousand years, we're told there's going to be a rebellion, that some of the nations are going to cause, have a rebellion, and then Jesus is going to put down the rebellion, and that will be the end of the millennium. Now at the end of the millennium, so we're here we are here, Jesus reigns on earth, we reign with him. At the end of that, 
is the second resurrection. And who's in that? Everyone who's died, you know, that uh, that wasn't part of the first resurrection. Actually, we're told in, uh, you know, there in the book of Revelation, I think again in chapter 20, it says, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. So the second resurrection is going to be everybody else. And also we assume that the mortals that have been living during the millennium, they will be resurrected as well. And it says at that time, there's going to be the great white throne judgment. I mean, even the sound of it kind of kind of sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? You know, and that's when we're all judged according to our deeds, which is kind of bad because, because we've been living in a fallen world. We have all sinned, right? However, there's an exception. If our names are written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, because it's the blood of the Lamb that cleanses us and allows us to be a part of that book, then basically we we get to kind of skip that judgment. And that's good news. Okay, so what happens after that? You know, there's a second resur- resurrection. Uh, there's no more mortals anymore. Uh, there's the great white throne judgment. Well, after that, and we see this in Revelation 20 and 21, it says that the, the, there's that God does away with the present heaven and with the present heaven, and he brings, he makes a new heaven and a new earth, and the new heaven actually comes down and becomes part of the new earth. So really, it's not just living a thousand years on the earth again, it's now you're living on the new earth. That becomes heaven. And a lot of Christians, they, they, they don't get this, but it's very clear, by the way, those who study the scriptures, this is not controversial. It's not just some, you know, uh, the saints of God all through the years have seen it this way. But unfortunately, we have this picture of heaven as, you know, people kind of floating around with wings. You know, we become angels. By the way, that's not in the scriptures. And we're just sort of a ghost-like figure. And, and you know, when you start thinking about that, it's easy to kind of think, well, wow, eternity is a long time. Uh, you think we'll ever get bored? I think I probably would. No, it's not going to be that way at all. There's going to be a new earth. And uh, this new earth, oh yeah, and also it says the new Jerusalem kind of comes down from heaven as well. And so that heavenly city that we talked about, you know, that Abraham and so many of the others were looking forward to, it all comes together in the new earth or new heaven. Someone has kind of described it this way. There's three earths in history. There's one that's unfallen, like back at the Garden of Eden. There's one that's fallen. That's the one we're living in now. And fallen meaning it's it's corrupt, it's dysfunctional, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, sinful. And then there's one redeemed. And in this new earth, there's no longer any curse. There's work and play and enjoying one another. We looked at some of these passages, things that perhaps we couldn't do on this earth just because it wasn't time or we had limitations of money or, or we had to work because remember work was part of that curse, right? Now we'll, we'll, we'll be working in the, 
new earth and new heaven as well, but it's going to be a different type of work. It's going to be something that is, is creative because we're going to be doing the things that God has created us to do. Because after all, he made us in his image and he is the epitome of creativity and he's passed that on to us. So all the things that he created us for, we get to do in the new earth and new heaven. And this is our final destination. This is our inheritance that's talked about in basically in Old Testament and New Testament. You know, that, that God's prepared a place for us. He has an inheritance for us. In fact, one place it says he's prepared this place since the beginning for us. This new world will be much, much, much more real than the one we know now. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis, when he refers to, uh, sometimes in his writings, when he refers to this world, he calls it the Shadowlands. And I like that because it's almost like we're just kind of got a shadow of, of what is to come. The real life, the real uh, earth is being prepared, or maybe it's already prepared, we don't know, but it's being reserved for us during this time here. And uh, so words cannot describe all that he has prepared for us. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, we started off with that. It's true we have snapshots, really only to let us know how wonderful, how amazing, how glorious, how fascinating this new earth and this new heaven, because again, they're combined, is going to be. But most important, we're going to be in his presence forever and ever and ever. We will be home. We're not going to be pilgrims anymore. We're going to be where we were created to be, and we'll be doing what we were created to do. It's that city that we've been looking for, that heavenly city, whose architect and builder is God, you know, that country that we've been desiring. Augustine, he talks about, in the, uh, in the 400s and 500s, he talks about being homesick. He says, this earth, I don't really fit. That is home, you know. He talks about longing for Jerusalem, and he's not talking about present-day Jerusalem, although that is a fascinating place to go to, you know. But he's talking about that new Jerusalem. Someone else kind of wrote, heaven is where I belong. And uh, uh, there's just so much we could say about this new earth, this new heaven. Actually, if you kind of take a look at all the beautiful things here on earth, and by the way, there are beautiful things here on this earth, right? I mean, the mountains, the lakes, the rivers, the flowers, the forests, the, uh, the beaches, even the deserts, all this has really been created beautifully. Now, man has kind of corrupted it, I know, you know, but we get a glimpse of what it's going to be like. In fact, there's sort of something inside of us that, yeah, this is home, but it's really not our home. It's, as C.S. Lewis says, it's kind of like the Shadowlands that we're passing through. So, how does all this affect our lives today and where we are now? It's true that if you kind of measure eternity, 
fact, sometimes I'll talk about, if we could draw a line and we could say it's eternity and we could say, okay, it crosses the width of this room. No, it crosses from here to, I'm in Colorado here. It's from here to New York or here to France or here to, you know, China, you know, here to the moon. If there was a line that way, and of course, eternity goes beyond that. Our life here is like a dot on that line. Nothing more. And yet, so much of eternity rests on what happens here in that dot. So, yes, all this that we've been talking about, it should affect how we live here for a lot of reasons. I'm going to give you four, and some of these overlap a little bit. First of all, and this is an important one, we must receive this gift of eternal life in this life. Okay? In other words, there's no indication that we get a second or third or fourth chance. This is the life that in this lifetime is when we can choose, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to receive his gift of salvation. I want to be a part of that kingdom of God. And Jesus told Nicodemus, there's no way you can be a part of the kingdom unless you're born into it. You know, you have to receive a new birth. And, uh, and it's really clear in the scriptures that it's those whose names who have been written in the book of life these are the ones that are part of the kingdom of God and receive this inheritance. So if you're listening to this right now and you have any doubts, please get this settled. You know, like now, you know, uh, John 17, verse three, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know you. He's talking to the father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's how we get eternal life, knowing Jesus. And if you are, I've, I've shared this before, if you're in doubt, we've written a book. It's called uh, Words of Eternal Life. I encourage you to, uh, to uh, get a hold of it. And you can, you know, you can give us a call, write us. We'll kind of get you a copy, you know. So, uh, you know, and it sort of describes it. So please, if you have any doubts, this lifetime. And the thing is, you don't know when... Your lifetime's going to end, you know? You know, is it going to be 50 years from now, 20 years ago now, 10 years from now? You know, is it going to something happen today? And, you know, we live in a crazy world. I mean, the week that we're uh, recording this right now, I mean, you know, we have Russia, a leader in Russia, you know, Putin. You know, he's kind of, you know, throwing around nuclear options and stuff with this war with Ukraine. It's kind of scary. We just don't know. Okay, so that's the first thing. Make sure your name is in the book of life and that you're part of the kingdom of God. That happens in this life. Another thing, our faithfulness here during this lifetime to the purposes which he has given us will determine the responsibilities we have in the new earth. Okay, so so as we become a part of the kingdom, he gives us a mission. He gives us a purpose. And of course, in some ways, all of us have the same purpose to proclaim the good news, but he has each of us doing different parts. And we are not just supposed to be kind of sitting around, just kind of just enjoying life for ourselves with no sense of serving him. No. The responsibility, the the things that we do now 
with the things that he's given us will determine our responsibilities later. We don't know how that works, but it's something that Jesus repeats over and over in his teachings. You know, he'll say, because of someone's faithfulness, oh, you're over 10 cities. You'll be over five cities. You know, another time he says, your reward will be great. Again, we don't know the details, but we know because it's repeated so often that our faithfulness here on earth is going to determine how we spend the rest of eternity. There is a divine purpose for us to remain here on earth. In other words, otherwise, why would he just kind of take us on up? And it's not to just live for ourselves. We must seek God to find out what he has for us and then to do it. I talk to a lot of people and they say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, seek God and then obey and do it. Well, another thing we talked about, I think this was just last week, how we are to be storing up treasure in heaven. Actually, Jesus is the one that talked about that. He says it a number of times. And he says, don't spend your life storing up treasure here on the earth where rust, where, where rust and, and moths and thieves can kind of come in and it'll be gone. Luke 16. And there's many verses that we could probably say about this, but let me just give you one here. Uh, 10 and 11. Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust their true riches to you? He's talking about later on. And, and, and even though in this context, he might be talking about our use of money and our, you know, and our generosity, I think it applies to so many areas. You know, that if we're not being faithful here, he's not going to entrust us later. In fact, we're learning here how to be faithful. Listen, I know we all kind of feel like, and this is the excuse we all have for not serving him and being faithful. I got so much to do. Well, listen, the reality is that there's going to be plenty of time later, like all of eternity, to do those other things. But this is the life that you have to really serve him. We are to proclaim eternal life that only comes through Jesus to the whole world. We're to tell of his loving kindness. We're to kind of spread the teachings of Jesus. And we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Okay, another thing about this life here. This is the third. In this life, we view ourselves as strangers in a foreign land. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. We are simply aliens or pilgrims passing through. And therefore, we don't allow ourselves to get too attached here. We are, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so many others throughout the centuries, we are looking for a city whose architect and builder is God, a heavenly city. Hebrews 12, verse 22 it says, um, and this is just after Hebrews 11 where it talks about a lot of this. It says, uh, verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's talking about something. And to 
myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I like that because we're going to the city of the living God. We're going to Mount Zion. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. And we're going to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Your names are written in life, all those. And it says, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Because when we get to heaven, we are made totally and completely perfect and righteous. In Hebrews 11, it says, not only does it say that they were looking for a city, a heavenly city, but it also said, it says, they desired a better country from the one that they were within. And then just in case we got confused, it says, that is a heavenly one. They went out looking for a place which they were to receive as an inheritance. That's what it says to Abraham. What inheritance is that? It's the new earth, the new heaven. And that's got to be our view of life too. We're just passing through and we're really, we're, we're marching, you know, we're looking for that heavenly city. Okay, one other thing here. Because this is not our true home and because we live in a fallen and corrupt and dysfunctional world, we understand that there is going to be a lot of suffering in this world. And we view our role as a light in the midst of darkness. We have been placed here for a season to be light in this world of darkness and to spread the good news. It's hard sometimes because there's so much suffering, so much dysfunction. There's so much of all that stuff. We think, Lord, why? Why? Well, it's a dark world. And we've been put here as a light. Uh, Philippians 2. Verse 14, 15, maybe 15. We'll start verse 14 because this is do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. We're in this darkness and our goal is to point people to the kingdom of God, point people to Jesus. Therefore, and this is important, our primary purpose here on earth isn't to change the world to make it a better place. It's to be a light, to draw people to Jesus. And as we proclaim his word and they see the difference in us, like we're not grumbling or disputing, you know, they will ask questions and they'll have a hunger and they too at least many of them will want to receive this gift of new life and eternal life. You see, we've not been called to redeem this wicked world. That's the job of Jesus. He's the redeemer. We're just to point people to him. Jesus redeems the world, all the world, the whole world system and all its corruption and dysfunction and sinfulness. He does that as he establishes kingdom in its fullness later. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. Now, in this lifetime, our job is to reach out to, to people of all nations with the message of salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't speak up for righteousness. You know, we're, 
We, we speak against injustice and racism and greed and hate and taking life from others. That can be from a, anywhere from abortion to euthanasia to, you know, to war. But we, we can speak up, but we realize our primary calling is to share the gospel and love people. We cannot change the world. We haven't been commissioned to do that. That's not our calling. That's the calling of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we've got to realize that. It's okay to feel passionate about a cause or something like that, you know, and, to, and because it's, it's a long, it's really being homesick for a world that's not full of all this. But in this world, there's gonna be suffering. There's gonna be things we don't understand. And our primary purpose is to lead people to the kingdom. Suffering, by the way, is very hard to comprehend. But our view must be that suffering, the suffering that we have in this world, doesn't compare to the glory and, and, and the goodness that he has before us. 2 Corinthians 4 a passage we looked at several times, it says, for momentary, I like that. It means just for a moment, in light of all of eternity, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Compared to where we're headed, this is nothing. It's just something we have to kind of endure. While we look not at the things which are seen, you know, all the suffering, all the dysfunction, we see that every day, don't we? But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And wow, the th all this that we see right now, all this hatred and, and all the things that we just, you know, that disgust us, the poverty, the, the um, all that, that is going to change. Suffering here, it says, produces something important inside of us. It's something important for later. Because in this sinful and corrupt world, you know what? We get to, we learn to love. We learn to love our enemies. We learn, we learn to love the unlovely, those who have mega problems. We learn to have compassion. We learn about grace and mercy. Living in this corrupt, dysfunctional, sinful world we will have discovered things and learned things that even the angels don't comprehend. And that's why, and this is another thing that we touched on in this series, is that when we reach really the millennium, we're going to be placed above the angels. You might say, well, the angels, they never sin. Why should they get to, why are they lower than us? Because we have learned about grace and mercy and compassion and love even the unlovely. So there's a purpose going on in this world for us right now. And again, we don't have time to repeat all that message again. But just know that part of our calling here is that we have to endure the suffering. Actually, Romans 8 says it really well. It says all the children of God are what? Groaning and suffering the pains of childbirth. Childbirth because there's something beautiful coming. you know, And they're waiting for the revealing of his glory and the revealing of the sons of God when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. And then it goes on and says, and it's not only us, but all the creation's groaning, waiting 
for Jesus to come back and for God's glory to fill this earth. Because remember, the curse wasn't just put upon the human race, but on all creation, all the earth. And so all the earth is going to be different as well. So yes, we are groaning and suffering, yet what? Our eyes are on that heavenly city. Well, like I said, it's, 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 it's kind of sad to kind of end this series, but we've got a lot more things to kind of talk about in the months ahead, believe me. And it's been fun talking about this. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot as I've just gotten into the scriptures. One thing I would like to do is I would like to recommend one book for further study. And I think I kind of mentioned before that I have, I've just in this series, like I always do, I've read what a lot of people have said. I've read a lot of books about heaven and just trying to kind of get a good picture. The one book I would re recommend, it's a thick book, but it's by Randy Alcorn. It's called Simple, Simply Heaven. And by the way, it's in, uh, it's in um, Spanish to El Cielo. And uh, uh, one man kind of said, other than the Bible itself, this may well be the single most life-changing book you'll ever read. But I can tell you, it's, it's thick. But it kind of goes through just passage after passage. And I think it will be a real encouragement to you. It might be one of those books that you just kind of read a chapter or a couple of chapters a week. And it might take you a year to get through. But I think it will be something that you will really gain a, a much deeper understanding, especially building on what we've talked about. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have prepared something for us that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, that has not even entered into the heart of man. It's, 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 it's beyond all that we can think or imagine what you've prepared for us. Lord, it's our destination. It's our inheritance. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that knowing that, that you would kind of put that inside of us, that we would be homesick for it that we would see it as our real home. The real life begins later. And Lord, not in a way that we escape from this world, but Lord, knowing all this and seeing all this, this should make us more faithful here to preach the gospel, to talk to friends, to talk to people, even people we don't even know about all that you have for us in your gift of salvation, your gift of eternal life. So Lord, we are excited about what you have for us. And Lord, I just pray that all these things that you would, uh, Lord, that you would just root and plant into our, into each of our lives, each of our hearts. And Lord, even things like uh, other things that we study, these passages, we just go back over it, perhaps even reading this book, Lord, I'm sure these are things that can just add to it. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Reading from first.